0: Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, I got a lot of questions after my last Instagram video I posted. I was running on a treadmill.
1: You got questions
0: about what? If you had to guess, what? I get two questions every time I post a treadmill running video. If you had to guess, what are they? What are you watching or what are you listening to? Neither. Toilet paper and rubber band. You got toilet paper there? Oh, you, do you have toilet paper around your handles? I keep yeah, I keep a roll of toilet paper on my handle constantly. It's non-negotiable. Okay.
1: And what are you doing with that? Blowing your nose in it?
0: Constant yeah, anytime. I don't know how people run without snot rocketing or blowing their nose.
1: I'm constantly doing it.
0: Especially if you're running fast. Especially if it's cold. It's cold in my basement.
1: Yeah. All right. So we know what the toilet paper's for and I have a feeling what the rubber band is for, but
0: yeah, so I have that a thick rubber band across the middle of my handle for when I do speed work on my Nordic track. And it's for two purposes, but every time I post a video, I get questions about it. And sometimes people get really in depth with why they think I'm doing it, and other times they just ask. So I'm gonna clear it up once and for all, which it will not be because not everyone's gonna hear this. But I put it on there for two reasons. The first is that I'm a shuffler by nature i have low back kick with my legs and i tend to get lazy with my stride and it just is a reminder to get my knees up a little bit and cycle my heels up under my butt so that's part one
1: yep. so your so your your quad will nip the bottom of that band at highest point yeah if
0: i'm not touching it i'm shuffling yeah because especially on a treadmill you can run the same pace with multiple forms. It's why I love working on form on a treadmill, but the downside is you can get away with bad form on a treadmill as long as you're getting your feet down in time.
1: You see Rich Diaz do that a little bit with uh, with some of his athletes on his treadmill
0: as well. And he'll do it the reverse, too, where their feet have to come up and kick it. Yeah. I don't have that dexterity nor the, the steady hand to rig that up. Mm. But then the second reason is that Nordic tracks, the incline version, the X whatever you have, X32, 22, I have an X11... They're very unstable. If you get too
1: far forward on those things, they start a jobbling, don't they? Yeah. So does that band keep you far enough back? Is that the
0: secondary purpose? It does, and I adjust it for how steep and how fast I'm running. The flatter it goes, I basically only put my Nordic track flatter when I won't want to run fast, mm-hmm. and I almost never put it below three percent because I just feel like I'm going to break the thing which I need to do soon because um, it's an older machine. It's still under warranty. I want to get that baby replaced. But it's
1: use. I suggest dropping a bucket on your belt
0: Yeah, like I did. That's a good one. I can't believe they replaced that. Sure did. But it, it keeps me far enough. So I set the band where I want to have to stay behind. Because if I move far enough back, it really stabilizes. So up front, it bounces a ton. And it sounds crazy. But the farther back I move, the better it sounds and the, the smoother the operation is. Plus, it gives less. And because there's give to the treadmill, it's nice. But it doesn't prepare me for the impact of what I need to do in a race. Yep. And I only run speed work so that I can race. So like it doesn't... It doesn't give me that resistance to impact, so the farther back I run, the less give there is and the more I have to hit and get off the ground and take a little bit of pounding doing so. So that's why I use my rubber band. It's very simple.
1: It makes sense. You know what I did on my Nordic track this weekend? It was like negative 27 or some BS with the wind chill, and I, I just didn't think I'd get what I wanted to out outside. So um, in my, what have I had, four years I think I've had my Nordic track, um... The first time ever on Saturday, I used the downhill grades on the Nordic track. Have you ever done that? The very first day I got it, I tried, and I was extremely disappointed. Very disappointed. So if you go at negative 3% incline, it caps you at 8 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. And if you go down to negative 6% incline, which is the steepest descending grade it goes, it caps you at 6 miles an hour. Which is a shuffle because we want to be ripping. But, and you can probably laugh at me for this because I did that when I was done with it. But I haven't done a single descent Bracken in in like four months, five months. Excuse me. So I did it anyways. And I galloped down the hill at 3% incline with like an over-exaggerated Johnny Luna Lima stride. With the goal to get my hips sore. Because you know after you descend the first time, you get I get real sore in my hips. I don't know about okay. you. Hips and quads. Hips and quads. And guess what, Bracken? Mission was accomplished. I ran like a crazy person with terrible form to take impact. And I will tell you that it worked on the Nordic track. Really? My hips are sore. So, But I had to exaggerate my stride in like a very inefficient, unconducive, not recommended way and i don't know if it'll work or not but it's what i had to deal with and so i used okay that. what do you
0: think about that i like it there's I, is it hill runner there's an online running guy it might be hill runner you can look up hill runner there's no e in hill runner he he i think it was him advocates decline treadmill work for the eccentric pounding and for bulletproofing your legs for race day And he he does it where he blocks up the back end of his so he can keep it at full speed. He puts his treadmill to zero, blocks up the back end, and he's very open about the fact that you're probably going to burn out your motor and it's not Mm -hmm. good for the treadmill. But he'll do tempos. He'll do 20, 40, 60-minute downhill threshold work to bulletproof his legs. And he prescribes it for marathoners that he coaches for, like, Boston or places where you're going to hit some hills. And he says that it carries over.
1: Well, you know, after doing it and realizing like it was just 3% incline and I was doing this big gallop, which again is dumb, um, that thought immediately crossed my mind after doing it to wedge up the back half because it felt mildly effective at 3% grade. And if you could turn that into 15% grade, what could it do? I have a feeling it's going to be a good way to break your treadmill bracket and get that warranty put to use.
0: <laughs> I'm not announcing this on a, on a, a podcast right. that I'm attempting to break my treadmill. 15 sounds intense. I was thinking like 6. Whatever it is, but regardless, I just think it would be hard to stay upright on it.
1: Um it was it's a little weird. If you ran with normal cadence or stride at 3%, um I don't think it would have done it. It would have been I would have been too efficient. And then 6% would have done the trick, but again, it stops you at 10 minute pace and that's not the point. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, my only thought was to do heavy loaded carry at six miles per hour at 6% decline and try to get some.
1: Like a heavy dumbbell farmer's carry? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that.
0: But it sounds like a good way to
1: get hurt. Hurt. Yeah, it does. But it it mildly worked anyways. So my hips are sore and I still felt them a little bit on my run today. So there's a little nugget for you to try. Um, I did think it was cute. We both posted treadmill running videos this week, so... We're cute people, Kirk. We certainly are. You want to? Um, you want to talk about some sweet, sweet running action that happened this weekend?
0: Oh my goodness! This was the fastest indoor weekend I think I've witnessed as an American runner. Mm-hmm. I not not I think <laughs> I know. There were multiple American record indoor records broken and a North American record broken, and it all happened in the same weekend. People were just flying.
1: Yeah, what's going on recently?
0: with these performances the easy answer is to say well the shoes are better and that's absolutely true mm-hmm. but, but i would say marginally
1: better when it comes to spikes, spikes on like an indoor track that hasn't that needle hasn't moved a ton in the last decade or two
0: no and they're bringing the super foam to spikes now but with that amount that you're going to put in there you know just a few millimeters it's not going to be the marathon type improvements that we're going to see on the road. So, I mean, that's part of it. People are saying the tracks are so much faster. It's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But really what this is, is we're seeing a ton of pros run indoor track, which Mm -hmm. doesn't always happen. And they're going to meets together and going after it, which doesn't always happen. And finally, we're coming off of two years of a lack of indoor track because it wasn't legal because of Corona. So you're seeing people yeah. that just trained and trained and trained and trained, and now there's a higher concentration of high-level athletes, and the new crop is here. It's just producing some really fast running, and it's exciting to watch as as a distance fan, but particularly an American one.
1: Yeah. No, I didn't keep up this weekend like you did, but you kind of informed me before we started recording. So why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell the good people, the running public, what all happened?
0: Well, we had, in no particular order, the American collegiate male 3K record was broken by Yard Nagoose from Notre Dame, who qualified for the Olympics in the 1500 um, at the last Olympics. So he's a legit stud. He broke the 3K record. The North American 5K indoor record was broken by two people. That would have been uh, Elise Cranny. Elise Cranny and Gabriella Debuse Stafford. They both broke it. They ran, are you ready for this, Kirk? Yep. Female indoor five K. Fourteen thirty one and fourteen thirty
1: three. Incredible. Came down to a kick finish, I assume, with the that close. The last last lap. Yeah, cranny
0: cranny gapped for a bit. She took she started pulling towards the end, got a little gap, and then Gabriella came back on and then Cranny kinda of had to run her race. She still finished strong, but Gabriella had a kick. So for the
1: quick math on that for the people who because I feel like it doesn't always equate to everybody's head, what what sort of pace are we looking at there? Like sub four forty mile pace, right? You know, I'm gonna take the time
0: here to actually look it up. Yeah, look it up. I feel like this deserves an exact answer. That is four forty on the nose.
1: Look at that quick math in my brain. Here's stud. That's moving. On the treadmill, you're looking at, uh, what are you looking at, 12.7 miles an hour or something? Something crazy like that? Maybe faster?
0: Can't even do it on most treadmills. So this is courtesy of Let's Run, this stat here. I didn't know this prior to reading it there. She closed, Gabrielle Debut Stafford closed her final 3K, so almost 2 miles, in 8 minutes and 30 seconds. 8.30.83. Jenny Simpson and Shannon Robery are two of our top runners ever in the U.S. Their open 3K PRs are 829.5 and 829.9. That's wild. And she just ran 830.6 to close out a 5K.
1: Insane. That's fitness. It just kind
0: of puts in perspective how fast that really is. And Jenny and Shannon are both multi-time Olympians with world and Olympic medals to their, their little metal closet or wall hanger whatever they use maybe Mm -hmm. just in a shoebox somewhere
1: just like you just like me so your Nagoose, the collegiate record um 738 738 how much did he break that by and that's like 40 pace i believe something like that 403 pace maybe 404 405 somewhere in there i don't know what the previous record was well i think he beat it by a few seconds so it wasn't like a nail biter
0: no, I don't think he nipped it at the line. I no, thought it I was think... 7.40 or 7.41. Yeah, he
1: got it by a few seconds is what I had seen. And then you got to talk about uh, the men's side, the the American 5K record going down by, uh, what's his face?
0: Former high school phenom, Grant Fisher. Grant Fisher. First of all, the 1,000-meter record got taken down, which is rarely run, but it's near and dear to my heart because that was the first collegiate indoor track race I ran when I was at Whitewater was the 1,000. Sounds painful. It's Those in-between distances are tough because you have to basically just run them closer to the lower distance. Yeah. You can't yeah. run it like a mile and kick earlier. You got to run it more like an 800 and hold on. Hang on for dear life. So Shane Streck, Streak, Strike? That was Shane Strike. I watched sure. this one live. He broke it, and Eric Sawinski rabbited him, who's a Wisconsin boy. Yeah,
1: I saw that. Eric Sawinski's been rabbiting... He rabbit at the Milrose games as well. He, he's been, that's like his job now.
0: Yeah. He retired from professional racing and he's just, uh, and instantly one of the best rabbits on the planet. So he's everywhere.
1: You know, what's interesting about Eric Sawinski is in college, my senior year, he was a freshman at Iowa state, I believe, Iowa. or Iowa. Um, yeah. and he was going, I think he went 149 or something as a freshman. Um, and we got together in summer to summer run once with just, uh, some mutual friends. And we went out and ran, like, 7-minute, 6.45 pace for, like, a long run. And he got dropped by us in the last (laughs) few miles at that stage in his career. He was putting so much emphasis on speed, but he wasn't doing long stuff, and it was started to be suggested by his coach. But Eric Sawinski, who ran, what, 146 in the 8? 145? Yeah, he was for sure 45, if not a 44. 145? couldn't hang with, with 6.45 pace on like a 12-mile run at the time, and it was funny. And then I saw his collegiate results that next year, and I was like, this doesn't equate. But I think he, he turned it around. He was a nice kid, very humble at the
0: time. Yeah. yeah, my brother ran against him and played basketball against him. He was a basketball player, played varsity in high school. Mm. He's kind of just all-around stud. So that meet, I ran a 1,000. The next meet, we went down to Iowa to, the I think they have a 300-meter track. And Eric ran an open six there and won it. I was like, I know that kid. Look at him running on scholarship yeah. at Iowa. So stud. Anyway, that Shane in his first thousand of his life broke the American record. And then in the five K, I mean, everyone ran fast, but Grant Fisher. The previous record was what, thirteen oh one? Thirteen oh two? By Galen Rupp. Galen Rupp had it, yeah. What what exactly was it? Thirteen oh one twenty six. In our outdoor American record all-time is 12.53.60. Grant, went 12.53.73. Unbelievable. Indoor. For a guy that a lot of people were thinking, maybe he's reached his ceiling. He was one of those high school studs, broke four in high school, went to Stanford, had a lot of good results, but just wasn't... He was always like the bridesmaid. Yep. And now he is coming into his own. And 12.53 is fast for anyone, not just... For an American, not just for a European, it's fast for an East African, it's fast for anyone in this world.
1: Yeah, I think Grant Fisher's coming out party was tri- Olympic trials, and then at the Olympics he had a good showing, and he beat Woody uh, Kincaid, where, you know, he was looking pretty primed. I thought Grant really held up well, and then he obviously carried that over.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fast. Mohamed, who I believe ran at Wisconsin, he's a Canadian. Canadian? Yeah canadian he ran 1256 mark scott ran 1257 he broke the um so mark scott broke the british record Mohamed broke the canadian record grant fisher broke the u.s indoor record all three broke it insane three people under 13 in one race
1: that's unheard of
0: woody kincaid was an afterthought there at 1305 which yeah. prior to Almost that night would have been record. yeah would have been the second fastest u.s performance ever indoor at 5k and and it wasn't even in the fast heat it's just yeah. one of the fastest nights. Connor Mance ran something like 1312, something like that. 1310.
1: It's wild. I always watch, like, when I watch Connor Mance run, because he's got such a high cadence and he looks like he's kicking from the time the gun goes off. I got a, a lot of respect for that guy, the way he grinds using his stature. He has, like, a non traditional sort of running form, yet it looks sort of beautiful at the same time. Yeah, very interesting. I like watching that kid run. I hope he really makes a bump.
0: I think, I think he's going to. But he's, I think he's going to be very good at the half and the full marathon. He needs to go longer. I thought the same thing. Yeah, but uh, so one of the one of the guys who trains out of Colorado, Emmanuel Bohr, he took fourth place in a five in a professional five k, which would usually be a bummer. Ran thirteen flat and broke the old U.S. record. So just like an outstanding weekend of running.
1: Mm -hmm. Where can people find those races if they want to find them, if they want to watch them? Do you know?
0: Well, FlowTrack, there were two different meets. There was the BU meet and there was a Boston. uh, There was Boston meet and then there was something else. I don't know. I watched one of them. It was on network television, I think on ESPN, but the other one was behind FlowTrack's paywall. Okay. So YouTube's going to be your best bet. you think paying uh, for FlowTrack is worth it? I've never done it on principle. You haven't? No, I hate the fact that we're a niche sport, that we're a small sport, that everyone always complains. Why is it running more popular? And then they put a running race behind a paywall where only true hardcore fans are going to pay to watch. Like, of course you're not growing any popularity. No one's watching it other than the diehards. Right. Right. Think if you could only watch the NBA on NBA League Pass, you'd never get a casual fan to tune in. Yeah.
1: I usually, you know, even just following the Flow Track Instagram page, you get some sort of hint at what 's going on that 's where I get a lot of my stuff, and then i 'll just go look into it further and try to snipe it somewhere else if I find something good but
0: yeah i 'll just always admit i 'm a illegal streamer through and through I got a whole setup here just to just to stream things illegally so that's that 's the way I get my sports
1: a little look behind the curtain here, but know what days I miss are the days when we had the and maybe not everybody on the Spartan pro team had this, but the days when we had the back and Login credentials for Spartan Race on Vimeo. Vimeo. And we, and we could go back and watch, even pre-production or pre-release. Um, I don't know if the listeners would know this, but you could go back and watch stuff ahead of time. And they have clips that never saw the light of day and stuff like that. Where did you get your login? I got it from Mick Girillo.
0: Somehow oh, okay. he had
1: it. but we. So I would go back and watch that stuff. Like before they were making these you know, putting stuff on YouTube. I learned a ton from that. I was like on back end sniping at that. Talk about.
0: That wasn't everyone on the pro team had that. That wasn't. That was NBC's Vimeo. And you could get on there and see all their other projects they were working on. Yep. That was hush hush. I I don't even think I gave that, that login away. Usually I try to share the wealth.
1: Maybe we should cut that out. What happened is Mick Durillo (laughs) came to visit uh, for a little training weekend and somehow he had it. And so we w- ended up just watching all this stuff on my TV at night. And then I had the login saved like auto saved. So then I just kept sniping it, but I kept waiting, waiting
0: to get blocked on it. Yeah. I assumed every time they log in, they get a, a notification. Like someone in Milwaukee, Wisconsin just logged into NBC uh-huh. sports as Vimeo.
1: <laughs> Our not so secret secret anymore.
0: That's years ago.
1: That was fun. Yeah. We're past the statute of limitations there. Um, should we hop into sort of today's question of the day and piggyback it with our with the topic, basically, which will be the question? Yes. I got a question this last week from uh, Michael Mulvey, um, and I thought this one was worth discussing a little bit, and we haven't really dove into the nuances of this question, I don't think, on a podcast. We've touched on it, of course, many times, but... Maybe not just like broke it apart um, a little more. So uh, he says, quick slash maybe dumb question, which I don't think it is because clearly we're making an episode out of this. Um, For low mileage runners, is it better to do most of your intensity through running and then supplement with easy cross training? Or is it better to do the reverse intensity and cross training and then easy runs? Does your answer change when a runner is returning from injury? Question mark. It's a great
0: question. Yes across the board. It is a great question, and it's yes across the board. Yep. If you're coming back from injury or you're a new runner or you are an established runner, the the answer changes to how much you should and shouldn't be doing. But, I mean, we are just firmly entrenched in the cross-training helps you
1: camp. Yep, I agree. Let's break it down. I think we break it down. Let's start this with the coming back from injury question okay let's start there and then let's progress into like you know i ran twice two weeks ago because i was sick i only ran three times last week i'm sort of on that program all the time so i'm living it um so why don't you kick it off i have some concrete thoughts on the coming back from injury thing but i'll let you start and then i'll i'll dive into it only because i feel like i've done it so many times this cycle come back from injury cross train through it Mm -hmm. and i guess you have as well with your with your knees, so where you at?
0: Well, I personally see coming back from something, whether it's injury, off-season, sickness, as the exact opposite prescription as someone who is not doing that, someone who is healthy, and that if I'm coming off of some sort of setback, I use the non-impact for as much of my quality as possible to keep my engine going. And I reestablish my running with my easy work.
1: 100%.
0: Almost exclusively. You got to walk or crawl before you can walk, walk before you can jog, jog before you can run. That's how I look at coming back from off-season and injury. I limit my impact, and I get, if I want intensity, it's all on a machine.
1: Yep. And you will be very surprised what kind of fitness you can build doing that, actually. It's, Mm -hmm. It's surprising. I got a couple athletes in that boat right now who are racing Jacksonville coming up and all their quality right now has been on the cross training. And, and I got one athlete in particular Augie who's been going out for one run a week just to make sure the flow is going. And, and his metrics are incredible. His, like, he went out for a like a 70 minute run on Thursday last week. And, You know guys running low or upper six minute paces for a midweek long run with a controlled heart rate saying i feel good i feel efficient and my engine is totally there and that's off a one run a week and he's Mm hitting perfectly quality work on the assault bike like a crazy man but um i agree with you i think if you're coming back from injury if there's no like real rush for like sharpening for a race like all of a sudden you're trying to like patch job a race uh, even in that case, I think you could stay away from quality on the running, but um, I think a four to six week at least ramp up period where you're just running steady, going off a of field. Maybe if you feel good one day, you can pick up the intensity on that run and turn it into a bit of a tempo-y threshold effort, but I think anything that gets the heart rate up past you know threshold is, is bike or rower or whatever. Um, what I mean, you, you obviously agree. How long did you stay in that pattern coming back from your knees? It seemed like forever yeah forever. I mean, it seemed like months
0: because I you have to be able to run correctly in order to absorb the work. if you're running incorrectly, if you have a hobble, if you if you're chopping your stride, if you're limping, if you're just not able to put out the work you want to put out, you're not going to get a ton out of the workout at which point you might as well just go do it on something else because there's 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 two big uh knocks against cross training. But one of them is that the hard work, the anaerobic work doesn't translate over on a one-to-one basis, <laughs> so, which is true.
1: Yeah. Well, because of the
0: efficiency piece. Right. And that's the other piece is that you're not actually building up your muscle memory of how to run. But like, if you did nothing but biking, easy bikes, long bikes, hard bikes, and you came over to run, you will, probably wouldn't PR your running. But if you went out and ran nothing but crappy, bad stride workouts, you're not going to PR your running either way. Mm -hmm. So I figure I'm going to focus on running until I can run the way that's going to accept speed. And I'll have my my engine primed, my anaerobic system primed by doing the other work. So is it a one-to-one translation over? No. But if it's not going to be perfect either way, then I err on the side of health and sustainability.
1: Yep. I 100% agree. I want to talk about modalities here because- yes. Uh, A lot of times, like, the the problem with high-end cross-training when you're coming back from injury is it's really tough to get your heart rate as high as you would get it running while cross-training if you pick poorly, I would call it, as far as, like, implement, right? And if you look at the gamut, like, you have regular bike, you have assault bike, you have swimming, you have step mill, you have elliptical. What else am I missing here? That people would use rowing. rowing skierg yep
0: stair climber
1: what i find yes yeah, stair mill i call it the stair stair climber i guess same thing but what i find is when you can combine your upper and lower body on something like an assault bike or something like the rower it just requires your body to shunt more blood it requires a bigger heart rate response and so like those quality days i hit those those two primarily and i'm the step mill or the stair climber whatever you want to look at i think can get the job done too if you're coordinated enough to go fast and work hard on that but those are the three that i hit um when it matters and then let's say i have a recovery day that i'm cross training through then i might hit like an elliptical at lighter resistance a typical spin bike go out on my road bike something like that um what are your favorites
0: i kind of break my own rule which is specificity i think you should be consistent and progressive in workouts. When I talk cross training, I've evolved kind of semi recently to the idea that the more variety you can get in cross training, the better it actually is for you. And and I didn't used to believe this. I used to think I'm going to get all my volume done on the bike. And then as much as I can do of my intensity and maybe only one other modality to keep it So I can track my fitness progress and all of that. And now I'm getting to the point where I don't really care about that. I want to come back well-rounded. Far too often you see someone jump on the bike for seven weeks and injure something or come back with an imbalance because you're not a professional biker. Or you jump on the rower and do nothing but row for two hours a day. And you come back with a weird back out of a liner. I feel, A, what you feel. The more you can use your arms and your legs at the same time, the more the quality, quote-unquote, takes I get, when people talk about if I did nothing but spin bike for 12 weeks of all my work, I wouldn't be able to run well. No, maybe, maybe not. But you'd be better if you also did a salt bike. Mm-hmm. Like the more you can use different pieces, I feel like the more it translates over to running because running requires every inch of you to contribute along the way. Yep. And so I like doing a lot of different things, but a salt bike, power hiking and pool running would probably be my three Spin bike used to be my number one, and now it's kind of relegated to, it's great to get extra work in. And I love doing certain types of workouts on there. Like 30, 30, 60, 60 works really well on a spin bike. And even like mile repeats, four or five minute blocks with short rest works well. But you blow up one body part. Like when your quads are done, your workout's done. And that doesn't allow me as a non-biker to move the needle as much on my fitness. So I like to piecemeal it together with a whole ton, a whole ton of different style over workouts.
1: Something you did a bit, which I get curious about your philosophy on is incline hiking counting as cross training. When you're coming back from an injury, do you think, I mean, it's going to be super situational, but do you think that is a good or bad idea? And would incline hiking, um, translate as well or better than anything else in your opinion? For example, when I was really struggling with shin splints, um, you know, I would do recovery hike efforts for 50 to 90 minutes at 30% or so. And did it impact my shins a little bit? But I felt like that moved the needle farther forward for upcoming mountain races than anything else. And I kind of got away with it. Um, So I experienced it and it kind of worked for me. But what are your thoughts on it?
0: Well, first of all, I love it. (laughs) I think that. Me too. That is just fantastic for your body. It forces you to use rear chain, mm-hmm. which runners struggle with. So you can actually come back better at certain facets of running after power hiking. And I believe you can work your anaerobic system, anaerobic system, in a way that translates close to one-to-one, minus the impact and form. But people talk about, like, if all I did was roll for my intensity, doesn't matter how good my skill on running gets, if I don't do any of my quality running, that row quality doesn't translate over as well. I think incline quality would translate over a little bit more one-to-one for those type of people. But I use it as, like, I have to earn that. that. That's not step one of cross training for me. That's, I'm not ready to run, but I'm ready enough that I'm starting to think about it. Yeah. I started on the assault bike with both surgeries, arms only. And then I was just sitting on it with my feet propped up, arms only. And then I moved to standing behind it, arms only. And then standing behind it, starting to rock my legs and bend my knees a little. And then sitting down and doing some legs and then standing up, I do 30-30 arms and then arms and legs. And so I moved into it until finally I was ready to spin bike. And then from there, I added in power hiking. So it was on my spectrum of no impact, To full impact, that sits in the middle for me, so I think it's situational. But if I could only pick two, two modalities, if injury wasn't negatively impacted by either one, I would get all my work done: power hiking and assault bike. And I count stairmaster or stairmill as power hiking.
1: Okay, what kind of heart rate response did you get out of the hands only on the assault bike? I'm super curious about that.
0: Weird, weird heart rate response. Because early on, it's all about my shoulders. They burned out yeah i couldn't do much on it but eventually you can get your heart rate up a bit on there it's kind of like skier it's easier to get your heart rate out up rowing than skiing initially until you get better at it but then as soon as i got to put my legs back into the equation it was very helpful so
1: okay.
0: it was almost like reverse altitude where it dropped my heart rate down 10 beats per minute Interesting. I yeah, to adjust zones based on that. Yeah, which I guess doesn't surprise me, but same as on a bike, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, same. Legs only lowers it. Arms only lowers it. Arms and legs together cranks that baby right back up.
1: I would go assault bike and cross country skiing. Would be okay. My
0: <laughs> if I could only do one one thing, cross country skiing. <laughs> That's
1: fantastic. But I think indoor stuff. I'd go rower and uh, I'd go rower and assault bike. Really? I would. Yeah. Why do you
0: like the rower over hiking or biking?
1: Um, I really like the rower um, due to, well, obviously just the heart rate response. And then two, when I do rower with compromised run efforts, um, in particular, when I do the rower with overhead work, like if I'm trying to do pull-ups or grip changes, you don't realize how much that pull motion blows out your like biceps and back. And so I like to couple it with, overhead work and compromised work because you feel like such shit when you go into it and it's it's miserable um, and so it makes you feel like a POS but when you get to race day you just feel like a bulletproof stud and so um, I find that the rower in combo with pull compromised stuff like I said grip changes pull ups that stuff just murders me and again perspective for race day it just makes it seem easier
0: I can buy into that
1: I remember when I first did it, like, like I would do rower, and let's say like on an assault bike, I might throw 15 pull-ups in as a part of a compromised workout, like 15 calories, 15 pull-ups, 15 cals, let's say 15 burpees, something like that. And then I started, and I can do that. I can hit 15, and it really sucks, but I can do that generally because there's enough rest between pull-up rounds, et cetera. On the uh, rower, first time I tried to do that, not a freaking chance. I couldn't even get to. I basically cut it at ten, and I had to make them jump pull-ups on later rounds because my pole was just completely shot. For example, interesting. So that's how it plays out for me, which I like. Feels like crap at the time.
0: Well, and I don't have the history of using a rower the way you do. I've owned one mm. for a couple months now, so I haven't. I haven't yet run a running race off rowing intensity. But what I have done is a lot of power hiking. Mm. So I guess we we do default to what we know.
1: Yeah. Before um, my first my fourth place finish before before jacksonville i had a foot issue come up two years ago and ended up taking fourth there and my workout a week out from the race was thousand meter this is going to sound ridiculous (laughs) Two, two minutes of leg press two minutes of leg press which equated to like 75 reps or so into 2000 no into 1500 meters of rowing Two minutes rest, rinse and and repeat. My body sure responded well to that. Blew my legs out, blew my pull muscles out, felt like hell, and then it made the race seem perspectively easier. The one where we were running together for a while through the bucket carry. So anyway, I don't know. I've just had good luck with it. That's it.
0: That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So
1: what about if you're not injured? Should we move on to
0: that side of the coin? Yes. So now that's the opposite for me. (laughs) That's the dead opposite to begin with, which is run your quality workouts – as runs, because that's what you're trying to race. The only reason I would do the opposite is if something was, were impeding my ability to run. Because at the end of the day, the best training for running is running. And I don't think that's super debatable. It's just how much of that can you do before it's no longer beneficial. So all things being equal, do all your quality and long efforts on the run and use non-impact cardio to support your aerobic efforts. That's where I begin. Just extra volume.
1: That is basically what I've been doing for the last two years as far as my training goes. And I feel like you can get yourself, dare I say, almost 100% of the way there because you're working the appropriate systems. You're working your biomechanical efficiency at different paces, which is the big thing you lose if you're only cross-training versus running. You keep all your resistance to impact by hitting purposeful sessions, hopefully doing, you know, work on the roads, trails, and ascending and descending. So you're checking all the boxes. So then it's just keeping the cardiovascular system primed in between, putting in that aerobic work, building your foundation. So, yes, I, I agree. The exact, the exact opposite applies there, especially um, if you
0: have races coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only time I would deviate from that is when someone needs to get more intensity in than they can currently handle. So let's say that a standard workout, let's say five by mile, well, you can only do three and your calves aren't able to handle anymore. You're, you've, you're not used to running four foot and fast and you got to hop off. I'd finish the workout up with maybe three or four more five minute intervals, six minute intervals on a bike yeah. or on a rower or on the assault bike, or even in the PM adding on some more quality work on a quality day, which is something I have in my plan. Yep, On Wednesdays right now, I've I've switched to Wednesday, Saturday, Kirk. I'm keeping a seven-day schedule going. Wow. Metcom Monday with medium-long run. Wednesday is an interval day, which is all threshold-based, and then Saturday is long run or compromised threshold effort. But Wednesday evening, or after the workout, I'm throwing on row and ski erg 30-30s just to get a little extra fitness in on that specific modality that I'm going to need on race day.
1: Well... I do a little hack that's the exact same Bracken. Yeah. and I like it. When high-end fitness matters, yeah, I do, but I'm not sure my body can handle the intensity. My favorite way to couple it is hit a quality session on Tuesday, which is what I would typically do. Um, And then I will follow that up with a high-end quality cross-training session on Friday. And a lot of times I'll make it compromised if race season's coming up. And then I follow that up with my long run on Saturday, nice and steady, on a little bit of a fatigued body, but the body usually feels pretty good after a compromised cross-training session on a Friday. So oftentimes if I don't feel like my body's ready for that, I do the exact same thing, and, um,
0: and I've raced really damn well off, off of that. Mm-hmm. Well, and it lets you kind of gives you peace of mind. Or like right now me, for example, I'm starting to build into threshold work, but I can't do a full eight to 12 by thousand. At threshold with short rest right now. It's just not, I mean, I could, but what's the point? The point of threshold work is not to leave it damaged. So, could I get it done but not accomplish my goal? Yeah. So, what if I just cut it to five or six and then get another 20 minutes of threshold work done on the rower and the skierg? then I can, I can shortchange my run a little bit, make sure that every rep is perfect. Stop before it gets bad, live to fight another day, but still get more work in and leave with more skill on the two pieces that I'm going to need for competition, but also more engine work and hitting it in a fatigued state. There's gotta be some, some carryover where I primed my running system the whole time and then used non-impact, but like everything's still working.
1: Yeah. That's another hack that is worth diving into. Actually, if you don't feel like you're able to run the volume that you would like in quality sessions. When I've come back, I've often done the combo approach, just like you mentioned. One of the hardest workouts in the book that, um, for example, a way to do it was simple. It was a 400-meter row and do a 400-meter interval right on the treadmill and then take a standard. I think I took 60 seconds rest, and it absolutely blew me up. I ran half the mileage, but yet got all the benefit of elevated heart rate, Mm -hmm. working hard while fatigued. And those styles are super effective. And then I don't feel like you miss out on anything as far as like biomechanics efficiency standpoint. So, um, yeah, I do those things a lot when I'm coming back.
0: I like that. And you can finally, you can use it to extend your long runs, your long efforts. And I've done this building up for ultras where I'll, I'll maybe have a 90 minute run hill session and then hop on the bike and do a 20 mile hilly ride. Or you can do it reverse order and get to the run smoked. But you get to get multiple hours in without multiple hours of pounding. And I find it a very good way to teach your body to handle feeling. If you struggle with gut distress, feeling while running, mm-hmm. start by doing it on non- non-impact. And then gradually sub in running. But you can start training your gut with non-impact in a very effective manner.
1: How do you feel like the best way is to, just speaking of fueling, and then that gets my mind going to, well, longer efforts. Um, how do you feel it's best to sub in longer efforts if you're injured? Like, let's say, you you know, two hours to three hours sometimes is a common long run if you're really trying to prime yourself. Like, what do you do there? Do you just suck it up and throw something on your iPad and go for two hours? Or do you, do you think there's better ways to do
0: it? Well, I mean, short answers. Yeah, yeah. I find a bunch of races. I I think the key is to have your your list set, because it's real easy to get done. And I talked about this on one of the episodes a while back, where a lot of the things I wanted to watch were forty to fifty minutes long, but I had like a sixty or seventy minute workout. So I'll have a I'll have a list set where I'm watching one as the warm up, gets me through ten or fifteen minutes because I'm not quitting then, and then I'll slap on the fifty minute. Video, But mm-hmm. if I watch something that's 50 minutes long and I got 25 left, it's just too tempting to be like, ah, screw it. <laughs> We're done. Just go back to the uh,
1: Spartan live broadcasts that are like four hours long. Jeez. And just listen to your voice on half of them. I've been going back since I've been doing a little bit of assault bike work and some treadmill work lately. I throw it on my iPad, and I've I've heard your voice a lot recently. <laughs> Those were
0: long days, and all of us had to go to the bathroom the entire time. You
1: kept me, uh, you kept me company for my entire two hours on Saturday on Did the I treadmill really? the entire way. Yeah.
0: If you ever want a voiceover, call me during, and I'll just talk in your ear. Ooh, that would be nice. You get the same race, but then I'll I'll, I'll give a different perspective this time.
1: So, okay, so I'll play the race. You'll be watching it at the same time as me. Yes. I'll have the volume off on the race, but you talking to me yes. as to how it's going. Yeah. You know, we should commentate some races together, and That'd be a lot of fun. It's been kicking around in my head, Kirk. We should. All
0: right. To answer the second part of your question, I also am, am a big believer that if you are cross-training – shake it up. Switch modalities whenever you want for a long effort. If you're running and you're supposed to do a two hour long run and every five minutes you jump on the bike for five minutes, that's not accomplishing the goal of your long run. You're still getting your long effort in, but you're not training the run the way you were probably intended to. But if you go in intending to do non-impact and you're not training for an event that needs any one specific modality, then just shake it all up. Five hundred row, five five mile or five mile bike, and five hundred feet of gain on the treadmill. You know, just choose random metrics and go. Go until you get bored on one and switch over. Work is work. If it's not running, work is work. Who cares? Get the work done. Yep. There are days to do psychopath training where you sit on the same piece for three hours and force yourself to be tough. And there are days to get yourself through it in any way possible.
1: Dude, getting through it in any way possible is how I survived long efforts when I was injured. It would be like. <laughs> A 1,000-meter row, and then it'd be 15 burpees, 30 walking lunges, 30 wall balls back on the rower, but all done at like a sustainable aerobic effort, not like a turn-yourself-inside-out effort. And that two hours went by so quick. It's way better that way. And it built good fitness.
0: I've realized that I can't stand changing treadmill grades during the workout. But if I hop off the treadmill to do something, I can come back to the next grade. Hmm. And so I just kind of like, you talk about hacking. I hack my, my workout that way. If I'm supposed to be doing like 500 foot intervals, 500 feet of gain at 20 and then 40 and then 20 and then 40. I'll do 20, hop off and row 100 meters or 500 meters and get back on and... If the, and I just let the the incline change while I'm off of it. I hit the button for the next one and hop off and do it. There's something about I just have to step off and step back on. Even if it's get down and do 10 jumping lunges and hop back on. Yep. It, it extends my time by a lot to be able to stay on the treadmill if I get little mental breaks. But waiting for it to go up and down in incline while trying to adjust the pace to make it equivalent just for some reason pisses me off and I don't like doing it. It never happens as fast as you want it to. It seems like it takes forever. I used to have two treadmills. For that reason? Not for that reason, but I had two treadmills. I had a Star Trek, a commercial one that broke, but it was still useful. I was going to sell it for parts or I was going to have it fixed, and then I got my first incline trainer, and then I got the parts. And then the Star Trek went up to 15 miles per hour. So. I had my fast flat one set and I'd climb on the Nordic track and hop off right onto the flat and oh, it was the best like treadmill training you could possibly have.
1: That's the beautiful thing. That's the one problem with the Nordic track is at minimum 3%
0: for speed work, sometimes even higher just with the play in the belt. It was the single best treadmill workout I've ever done. I would do a minute at 20, a minute at 25, a minute at 30, and then right into three minutes flat at like five flat pay or whatever pace I wanted. But it was that idea of cresting a hard climb and accelerating right into the flat or into the downhill. And it just, it's not pleasant, but it makes you feel like a machine on race day. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I missed that treadmill. It finally broke for good. Crap. You should buy a new one. Maybe I will. Mm-hmm. I could
1: probably still work that Nordic track connection <laughs> for one of their commercial regular treadmill models. Um, I think what we're getting at is like creativity is allowed here and Mm -hmm. kind of making things up that might translate to the race course or just translate to good overall functional fitness is okay. Like I don't think there's as much as you want to think there's an exact science to it. Like what is going to be the biggest bang for my buck or what should I do to translate best? I don't necessarily think there is one. I think the point is to get the appropriate stimulus for that day, the appropriate heart rate response, and and however it's done and however keeps you engaged and not hating your life and dreading it, especially with cross-training, that wears out really quick. The novelty of that starts – I mean, you can be at the end of your first week of cross-training when you're injured, and you're already like, are you kidding me? I have another five weeks of this per the doctor's orders. Like, there's no way. And that's why it's like staying engaged on that stuff – goes way further than worrying about splitting hairs as far as what's the most effective for what i have coming up at least that's what i've found and yeah. sometimes you turn yourself more into an athlete by doing some of the varied stuff instead of the the super linear stuff we always do it's a good opportunity to work some of those other things so um that's uh that's most of the points i think i've got on that i see you got something else to say and then i want to end with uh Maybe just a few suggestions for those age groupers heading to Jacksonville in a couple of weeks. They're probably thinking about
0: that. What do you mm-hmm. got to add? Well, just piggybacking off your point that there's no one way to do it. Mm-mm. And that is uh, a good example of that is Natalie Cook. She was the, the national champ both at the Running Lane National Championship and the East Bay Cross Country Championship. She won both of them. And she ran in between 10 and 20 miles per week in high school. Wild. She was the high school double national champion running 20 or less per week, but she'd do an extra four to six hours of cross training, most of it on the elliptical, which most coaches would be like, well, we got to get you on something better than the elliptical. I believe her dad coaches her. I could be off on that, but Mm -hmm. he seems to kind of just get it. Like, why risk it? She's obviously talented. Talent doesn't hide. And he's bringing it out in the most sustainable process. But so she would run 10 to 20 miles per week and do a ton of elliptical. Like there are always just people that are the exception to every rule. And you grow to find out that it's because there isn't a rule. There's what's been proven. Exactly. Like where's the body of work on trying to get runners to run three times a week within an additional 10 hours of cross training? Like there isn't a body of work. There is no study long-term on high-level athletes to see how it works. So what you have are the rare examples of people who were either forced into it or just were the rare person who decided to try it. And that's all you know about. And so you're looked at as the outlier, as the exception, but it isn't a rule. There are principles of training. And if you honor good, proven principles of training, the way you get there, I'm just going to say doesn't really matter.
1: I agree. Getting there, staying engaged in your training, getting there, staying healthy and getting there playing the long game outweighs absolutely everything all the
0: time the single thing that matters the most is not your system it's not your philosophy it is consistency it is consistency and then number two would probably be having progressive workouts i think that you could choose any system you wanted and as long as you keep yourself healthy and consistent you're going to get most of the way there that any other system on earth can get you there but it's consistency and staying healthy. And that's usually where the drawbacks of the other systems are is they leave you hurt or worn out, which Mm -hmm. is why we talk about the systems we like to talk about. But it's not because they're more effective. They might just be safer.
1: What do you think, um, just a personal curiosity of mine, I've been kind of tracking my hours more than my miles, meaning like, sure, I'm running and cross-training, but I just like to look at the sum total of how much aerobic, Or quality work I'm doing each week. What do you think people should be shooting for if they're racing the gamut between a if you're an OCR person, sprints to beast. And if you're a trailer roadrunner between 5K and half marathon distance. Like, What do you think people should be shooting for if they really want to get the most out of their fitness? Let's say it.
0: What do you think? They can't see it, but I'm grimacing here. You don't like my question. No, I like your question, but I don't like having to answer it. I think if I, I don't, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I I think it's good if everyone can get to the point where any given day of the week, you can go and move aerobically for an hour with no issue. And then once per week, go move for two hours with no issue. Yep. And if you take an off day, that puts you at at what, seven hours? If you don't take an off day, it puts you at eight. So I think that six to eight hour range is a very solid attainable range For the vast majority of people in the vast majority of lifestyles out there, too. I think that when I start approaching eight, I'm about ready to race just about anyone. And when I hit the 10 to 12 is where I'm monster fit, but there's always something going on or right on the periphery that I don't want to pop its head up. But six to eight will get the vast majority of people the vast majority of the way there. 100%. Well,
1: I'm just – I opened up my Strava to tell me what I've been doing now. But my answer was going to be you can get away with six if it's done right on a a five-day-a-week workout plan if you need to, um, which would be basically five sessions of an hour and one of two hours. That's exactly where my mind went roughly. Um, I mean, looking at mine, and I'm not, like, necessarily, you know, the shining example, but, like, um, before I went and raced in um, Florida in December – and i built some really good fitness i i'm ashamed to tell you 4 hours 39 minutes 4 hours 54 minutes 4 hours 29 minutes leading in okay now that the season's ramping up and i'm looking at uh looking at the season for real 9 hours 26 minutes last week set 4 hours 50 i was sick but then 727 720 8 hours 19 735 i feel like that's pretty indicative of what people are doing on the elite level, who are maybe not full-time athletes, and a lot of that is cross-training in there. So,
0: when I was in Colorado trying to hit seventy-ish per week with anywhere from twelve to twenty-four thousand invert at altitude, I was sitting right around nine to eleven hours per week.
1: You were hitting twelve to twenty-four thousand feet of gain a week. Yeah, at seventy miles a week. Wow.
0: And those are big weeks. But I mean think about it. My recovery run was like five miles with two with nineteen hundred feet of vert. Right. So if you're getting two thousand a day on your if I just did easy runs, that's fourteen thousand for the week. That's true. So it's just different, obviously. Vert's different when you live in it.
1: Still a tip of the hat to you, Bracken.
0: Thank you. Then you go and do the incline twice a week, and that's that's over two thousand each time you do it. Mm-hmm. So it it just starts to add up. But out there I was going ninety minutes Monday, not on a quality day, 90 minutes Wednesday on a semi quality day. You know, that's warm up, cool down workout, mm-hmm. two hours ish on a longish semi quality or quality Saturday, and then 75 minutes every day in between. So seven days of an hour is seven hours. A two hour run bumps it to eight Two 90 minute runs bumps it to nine. And then those extra 15s bump it up to 10. And that's a 10 to depending on the week, 11 hour aerobic week. And that's about as high up as I ever wanted to get. And I wasn't Mm cross-training. I'm sure cross-training, I could have gone up higher, reduced my running a little bit and got more hours. But I was at the high end of what I could handle with a ton of vert, a decent amount of mileage and quality work. And I probably could have been just as fit off of moving those 75-minute runs down to 60 and those 90-minute runs down to 75.
1: As long as your big stimulus days on your quality, like Monday and your Saturday and your longer effort Saturday stay there, you probably get away with a little less. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But again, if my top end's 11 and that was when I was, I was good. I was, you know, I was in the mix at every race I went to. Mm -hmm. You can remove that down to eight. I could have got it off of eight or nine that time. So why shouldn't everyone else be able to do six to eight and be just fine? I agree. I just
1: thought it was worth discussing And giving some perspective there. I know there's guys in the sport that do significantly more volume than I do or you do, like without question. But that's a snapshot of if I were to take a lump sum of the top 20 guys in, let's say, Spartan race uh, elite series. I bet you would average out somewhere between seven and eight hours a week. I bet you it would maybe even a little less.
0: Yeah, and the only downside, I think, to tracking hours instead of miles is people find all these ways to add in time. They count mm-hmm. their lifting, they count their... No, no, none of that crap. That don't count. Dawdling. You're milking it. Six to eight hours of work a week, yep. you're set. Six hours of cardio, two hours of strength training, you're going to be a monster. I agree. we got about five minutes here.
1: What do you got for advice for people, you know, or less than two weeks out from Jacksonville, the big opener for... Um, age group athletes. I did hear um that Spartan has reached out to interview some of the top age group athletes like pre-race to get some sort of I don't know, footage, B-roll something. Good. I'm curious to see what they'll do with that. Um hopefully something, but um I'm hoping it gets a little more attention. What do you think what do you what do you think we should tell people here about this race? It's a sprint, it's quick,
0: it's short. It is. And the same rules apply as if it were long. You can't do anything in the first mile that you don't think you can do in the last mile. It's still Races are still belonging to the people who are making moves in the second half. So do not get caught up in the idea of, I'm just going to hang on for dear life because it's only three miles. You'll bleed so much time. There is nothing longer on earth than the last mile of a 5k you've blown up in.
1: And let's talk history. I mean, Jacksonville on the elite side has been won right around 30 minutes, just under, I think. Somewhere it's right 10K. in the 30-minute minute range um, on the top-end elite side. That means for the age groupers, like anybody, I mean, you could run a 30-minute race. I don't know what the setup will be, but you're looking at 35 to 40 minutes for winning your age group, potentially, if that's what your sights are set on. Think about that. I know exactly what you said, Bracken. It sounds short on paper. You're Oof. out there. Let's plan on 35 minutes. Would you pace yourself in a 10K? Of course you would. And I'll tell you what. The last two years have been sprints on the series front, and both of those, I have come hanging on for dear life home, feeling like the race was twice as long as it was. And I think I would have fared better if I was a little conservative a little early at times, especially when... With your effort through, when you get that deep water up to your knees and stuff, sometimes it's like you got to just let it win and then really dig in when you can get your traction again. Get better bang for your buck as far as like energy return and propulsion. Um, So I have a little thought on that as well. Just like choosing when you're you're putting out, as they call it.
0: You know who should be leading at the mile if they're intending to win? The best person there. Mm Mm-hmm. When someone's leading one mile into a multi-mile race and they hold on to win, it's almost always because they were the best one. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, the person, and I don't care what sport you're looking at, the person in the lead five minutes into a, a race that's longer than 10 minutes is not the person who wins. Yeah. Outside of the, the just the ultimate dominant people, and then it's no question they're going to win either way. The worst thing you can do is go out too hot. You shouldn't be cautious. You shouldn't be tentative. But you should be in range of where you want to be knowing I have options. So do not get caught up in the mad charge. There are always places to move if you have energy to move.
1: 100% agree. Go back and look at last year's results. It went uh, VJ Jones, Ryan Woods, and then Logan Broadbent last year. Even VJ Jones. A mile and a half, mile into that race was disconnected from the leader, Josiah Medow at that point, and others. I think VJ was sitting in fourth. Granted, there was a tire snafu. Ryan Woods was off the back of VJ, sitting in fifth or sixth, and Logan Broadbent was right with me, hovering back around tenth. So, for perspective, case in point, right? Mm-hmm. So, again, there's a lot of things that can go wrong.
0: The other side is Nicole led start to finish. And she was head, shoulders, chest, and waist above every other female there because she was just on another level last year prior to tearing her ACL. Yes, she was. So if you're the best one there and you know it, set the pace and drop people. But if you're not the best one there, your only option is to run your best race. You could take a chance. Mm-hmm. Take a chance and go send it a little bit, but that doesn't mean run like a fool.
1: Yes. I am all for sending it, and I think, you know, something I could work on is racing a little more aggressively out of the gates. However, it is so common when you you get the aroos, aroos, and the speech beforehand, and then they send you off, and it's like half the field hits the panic button as soon as they start running. It's like this weird phenomenon where people are running way harder than they should. They feel like they're going to get so disconnected and swallowed up. There's always places. It's like Even if you just held back for like three minutes, just let some of those people wear themselves out and then make your push. You might fare better if you're one who typically moves backwards in a race versus forward. But you know your fitness better than I do, and that means if you're ready to come out of the gate like a slingshot and hit it, you probably are. But just two cents, sir.
0: Here's what I'm going to leave people with, Kirk. Here's what I'm going to leave them with. This is something I used to talk to the uh, the high school athletes I coach. Mm And that is when people say, let's be aggressive today. Let's race aggressively. That does not mean running aggressively. It means positioning yourself aggressively, and they are not the same thing. Holding back might be running in second place. Running aggressively might be running in second place, but it does not speak to your effort level. It speaks to your positioning. Running aggressively means putting yourself in position, not running like a maniac. So keep that in mind. You can be aggressive without running any different it just is inserting yourself into the race rather than a pace and it's very very different but there's not much of a difference in effort and you have to err on the side of caution
1: 100% agree that's a good way to wrap this thing up Brackenstein
0: lock it up Kirk lock it up
1: I gotta go to the gym this is my first day back working in the gym in like a week and a half I took me out pretty good whatever bug I had so No buying new
0: shoes this week for you. No
1: buying new shoes this week. I may have done that while I was sick and bored, but we won't talk about that.
0: Oh, you got it. What shoe was it?
1: I got a new pair of Hoka Clifton's, and then I got uh, the Evo Mafate Speeds out of curiosity. So we'll see. All right. Enjoy. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys.